Good evening, everybody. Before we begin, I would like to give a very necessary disclaimer. If you are not old enough to watch Harley Quinn on DC Universe, you are not old enough to listen to this podcast. Um, DC Comics News has a lot of age-appropriate content. You can check out any of our other shows, but not this one. Disclaimer aside, welcome to episode 6 of Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. Um, Today we are going to be talking about a damn good cop, just a wonderful man, Jim Gordon. So guys, overall, where does this rank on your favorite episode list? Uh, Let's start with Kendra. Are we doing just season one or are we doing all all throw in the full Monty? Let's, Let's start with, let's start with this. How does, how does this new look at Jim Gordon's personal life rank for you? Do you, do you love it? Do you feel like he's, do you feel like this is the Jim Gordon we know and love? I think this is the secret Jim Gordon that we never knew was there because he hid it so well. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's, it's not a secret that Jim Gordon had, had issues with his relationship. I mean, that's apparent even back in the Taz days, but this one, it's full frontal in your face, raw, you can't avoid it. I mean, he's a dead lover looking in your eyes, and there's only so many times you can do that while he's on top of you before you break. Um, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what a line. It, it cuts to the soul, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It, it cuts right to the rawness. I mean, and that's what we get with Jim in this one. We get to see him without all of this hard, tough-as-nails cop atmosphere, and I'm, I'm actually here for it. He's a damn good man. What about you, Brad? Yeah, I think that in a weird way, he's kind of relatable. Uh, you know, not, not necessarily in those depths of despair, but I think that <laughs> we've all had those kind of moments where we feel like the world's beating us down, and we could all use another, you know, shot of scotch or vodka or whatever it is. Uh, I I, so I think that it's kind of like an extreme version of the every guy, but I think that I think a lot of people can relate to him. And you know, I got to say, my heart just goes out to the poor guy. Uh, I I do think he's he's a, a damn good cop. So I think that there's something relatable about this Jim Gordon. Uh, maybe maybe not to the depths of the despair that he feels, but I think that. To an extent, I think everybody's had those days where they feel like the world's just really out to get them. And, you know, everybody has those days where we want to take those shots of scotch or vodka or whatever it may be. So I think that, in a way, my heart goes out to the poor guy. And I, I think the, the only character that I had more sympathy for was was the arm, which, which we will get to, uh, <laughs> which we'll get to later, I'm sure. But, yeah, poor Jim. Love the guy. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I loved one what Brad started out with saying because one, either we've all been a place where we're so downtrodden that we're just like, man, I got to talk to somebody and I can only talk to a person uh, that I trust. Just, you know, I feel like I've got no one in my life I trust, but you I trust. And sadly for Batman, he is that person for Jim Gordon. 
which means he has to hear painful lines like, yes, you can only see the dead eyes of your lover thrusting on top of you so many times, which was just a haunting line for Jim to say, especially because he had dead eyes while he was saying it. So at that point, all you have to do is move him up and down and you pretty much got the image. Um, and that was just. <laughs> wow. You know what I mean? At that point, you're just like, wow, I'm now I'm now just really not ever desirous of sex for a certain period of time from this point on at all. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. You're amazing. I, I could mentally be a eunuch right now, but it's OK. It'll all be fine eventually because we know Jim's going to come out of this. But not only that, but we've all had that friend. Um, Kelly, I'm not singling you out, but you pointed out that you've had that friend who they're just like going downhill, like a burning, tumbling ball of fire, destroying everything in its path, right? And and they turn to you. And this is one where you guys are going to love me because I just remembered a story while Brad was telling us this example and I'm thinking about it. And I'm reminded when I was sharing a house, uh, there's three of us living there. And someone knew this couple who they came over and we proceed to find out that their agreement before they're going to get married is that she bought really expensive birds under the condition she no longer has to have sex with her partner anymore. And we were just like, how does this work? How is this a functional, you know, and and this guy is basically just telling us this story of how he got these birds and how proud he was. And we're sort of horrified because we're in our early 20s thinking, like, what, what, what do you do? What, what, how does this work? And we're the only, we feel like we're the only people he can sort of, you know, turn to in this moment. And watching Jim in this broken moment, I was like, you're like that guy with the birds, man. Whatever deal you made, like, it's just coming to haunt you right now. I'm going to go ahead and just pass it along to Steve, who I hope has some well-timed quips regarding the avian variety or just something to add about our good friend, Mr. Jim Gordon, while the rest of you think about a deal and sex and birds. You're welcome. It's Friday. We're about to get wild here on Mad Love. Buck wild. Um, I have to agree with, with both gentlemen other than myself on the show when you, you do feel for poor Jim because we, we've all been in a situation where we think someone that we love doesn't love us anymore I, I guess and and that's a time when the you feel like the, the bottom's falling out of your world or if you're lactose intolerant like I am and you have too much cheese on your pizza that the world's falling out of your bottom but I don't think we'd want to go down that road just yet so let's talk about Jim Gordon and favorite episodes and Kendra and I have this conversation frequently. Every episode we watch, we say, oh, no, that was my favorite episode. And so far in this series, every episode I say that. So if we're just counting the six we've we're talk, we've talk, spoken about in this uh, show, then fuck yeah, this episode is my favorite. Jim Gordon, you're a damn good cop. What about you, Kelly? What do you make of the episode and our buddy Jim? Ah, oh, Jim. <laughs> it's... it's I don't know what it is that makes the super down in the dumps, um, you know, just at rock bottom characters funny, but it clearly it works because it's hilarious. And I, I think part of it is that we're so used to seeing Jim Gordon as this character who has it together. And I mean, he survives what the Joker does to him in the killing joke. And he's, you know, survives his daughter being paralyzed. He survives all these crazy things. But for some reason in this show, it's showing, you know, surviving doesn't necessarily mean 
thriving. He's he's okay, but he's not okay. Um, so I think this episode would have to rank for me. It's it's up there. I mean, they're all up there. Like you were saying, it every single episode is the best episode. Although I still do have to really the the uh, finding a nemesis and that whole just tawny nonsense that that still ranks just a little bit higher. But this is easily easily my second. Um, and yeah, just poor Jim. Poor and you know maybe go to marriage counseling, maybe work it out because that sounds awful in so many ways. And I think one of the core, I, if you want to say themes of this episode, is who's being a good friend and who's not being a good friend. Because we see a lot of examples of good and bad friendship. Um, and we'll totally get into that later. But yes, this is ranking as my second favorite, along with all of the other episodes we've seen, except for, I believe it's episode four. So that's, if if anyone's doing the actual counting there, this is tied in that place. Um, so the episode starts out with Harley making a very, very fun, I guess, robbery of a dead body. Um, she steals King Tut's body from a museum. <laughs> and nobody's excited about it. Um, Kendra, what do you think? Do you, are you excited about King Tut's body? Did you want to touch the dead body? What did you, how'd you feel? Um, honestly, I think that's on my bucket list of most awkward questions to ever be asked. <laughs> I kind of feel like we've gone into Dairy Main territory, and I'm waiting on Stephen King to jump out and be like, it's a joke, but it's not. Um, I mean, in regards solely to King Tut's tomb and his, his, his sarcophagus just kind of laying there and being used as a new end table, um, I mean, I, I think that Harley and the crew have, have kind of been going full full tilt trying to find some way to get them noticed and this one just didn't work it didn't it didn't work for them Brad what did you think of King Tut uh, I uh, I loved uh, Ivy's line well I never go to a museum and think oh I really want to touch this dead body right now and I think that <laughs> I think that I could definitely agree on that uh, and I and I really liked when Harley puts her feet on the sarcophagus and they're way too high, so it's not going to work as a uh, like a coffee table. So yeah, I mean that that, that seemed uh, pretty cracked me up pretty hard. Uh, Seth, what do you think? I suddenly think that my place would look awesome with a King Tut ottoman, and all I want to do now is figure out how to get one. Um, but she didn't look comfortable. I'm just not sure if it was the right proportion. She needs a bigger couch. Um, and I, I actually have thought to myself, like, hey, I wonder what that dead body behind the glass feels like. Because King Tut came to San Francisco once. We got a chance to see the exhibit. It was pretty cool. But I remember thinking to myself, like, we don't get to touch it. That's kind of bunk, right? I mean, I get, you know, touching <laughs> it makes it fall apart. But there's like a part of you like, all right, I, did, I, I went and saw the Mona Lisa and they warn you that if you go, it can be a little disheartening because it's like a rope, the velvet rope with the thing of glass. And then way behind it is the portrait, which is much smaller in real life. And you're just kind of like, wow, this is not wonderful. I get why it's the way it is. So, I mean, I kind of dug Harley 
one for getting a chance to do it and then two for smashing it up because that made sense to me like right then i was just like oh, okay i mean i get the dead body part and it's creepy and i get that she wanted king tut because quote unquote priceless but then something pisses her off on villainy.evil and she's like fuck it smash it what and i love the <laughs> i love the idea of that like yeah i went and did this amazing crazy thing because i'm trying to get attention and got the wrong attention now i'm pissed fuck this shit smash it steve well it's not just the fact that they walk in carrying harley on the sarcophagus laying it down in the middle of the living room smashing the living fuck out of it and then it's there throughout the whole episode it's just their body parts sticking out of the shrapnel the whole sarcophagus in pieces and they don't clear it up they don't move it they walk around it and it's there for the whole show and that to me is like wow these guys and that's why i love them so oh dear yeah poor old king he 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 was dying to be in that scene and and it really showed i'm sorry uh kelly over to you you're not sorry you're not (laughs) i can't even spell it (laughs) i i think i have to agree with kendra that i did not want to touch the dead body um just you know i I, I feel like it's just not, it's probably kind of leathery and, and hard and, you know, it's just, eh, not for me. I am, I'm on team Ivy and Kendra because I personally don't think I would have wanted it, but it is a really cool caper. So it kind of, I also feel for Harley when it's like, she did this thing and that is a big thing. You stole King Tut's whole sarcophagus and are parading around like what, what was the, the process of getting it there is my other question did they parade her from the museum to their to their house like that was she did they have it hidden was it in a truck or did they literally just carry her through gotham on the back of the sarcophagus that's what i want to know but yeah i uh i i don't think i'd want to touch it i do see the allure of it and as far as harley smashing it it's again comes from her getting a not the right attention on uh villainy.evil which was also a great website i would love it if that website actually existed That's so fun yeah. right like <laughs> find out about all of the ridiculous things that villains are doing because apparently the police aren't watching this website um but what did you guys think just how as far as internet trolls because that's kind of a big thing in this episode how do you think Harley handles the situation? Do you think that they did a good job of handling the entire, you know, bad comments and then eventually a bad review? Or do you think they maybe could have handled it differently? Kendra, what do you think? I think I'd have been in the same boat as Harley frustration level. I mean, here they are doing everything that they can. And they're not just like you said, Kelly, they're not just like small capers. They're huge. And, here it is that, you know, here's KGB going up for nomination and all these nice comments are there. You know, I've done assassinations with him and he's a great guy. It's a good nomination. And all Harley gets is I nominate her to sit on my face. And I really love <laughs> I love it to do that. I do. I do. I love that they actually show like the frustration level 
of the female villains in this in this series because it's it's a trope that's been talked about in comics for years that the guys are always the greatest and this show keeps harping on that and showing you like with example to joker how he's just a prick he's not a good guy and here's harley doing the same thing and even sometimes going above and beyond trying to add to her own harley cave and it just doesn't matter that's all that she's ever seen at so i think that her frustration level was absolutely justified brad what do you think yeah i think it was justified too i think it's such a you know like you were saying it's such an overwhelming theme for this entire season of her trying to claim her own and earn respect and uh she really has to fight you know from from the bottom to the top and this is just another level of that fight and uh i i certainly don't blame her and her frustration and as she proves again and again she she rises to the occasion as we will see but yeah i i I definitely agree with you on that one uh seth what do you think well you know I can actually remember when I was putting myself through college, working like three crazy ass jobs. And at one of them was at the front desk of the gym. So you greet all the members. And I worked with this manager, Matt, who is a sweet guy with really bad acne and was kind of a man slut. And I remember this one guy came up and he would always come up and he was super yoked. And I remember Matt just was like, oh, my God, I just want him to sit on my face. And I was like, wow, Matt. <laughs> okay buddy you're you're kind of like a manager to me and i'm just a college kid working my job but i kind of wish he didn't say that i kind of wish he knew that that's what people said about him and now i can never look at this man in the same way ever again because that's just done like all i can think of is dude someone wants you to sit on their face and you don't know who they are and that's a bit rough um i felt like he was really objectified like i was just like wow dude you don't know what people are saying about you right now, some of which are making me blush. So maybe you do know. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> seeing that happen to Harley on, you know, a, a truly mm, bitching ass site like, you know, villainy.evil, which we all need to get a membership in because one, yeah. I think it just allows us to use like an awesome 70s phrase like bitching. Um, but also because like she, that's the one place where you want to get recognized and she's just totally objectified instead. Like not recognition, objectification. Nice. Totally not doing what I want. And then, of course, fuck it. Smash up sarcophagus. Leave it there like some badass punk rock art and walk around at the rest of the episode, as Steve so wisely pointed out. I... I love that. Yeah, this is the whole point of what's going on. Poor girl can't get any respect, does some cool ass shit, like actually steal King King Tut's body. And yeah, Kelly, I'm pretty sure they marched that thing right up and down the streets of Gotham because everybody's like, holy shit, like this is Gotham. That shit just happens, yo. Like, (laughs) And somebody's like, should we call the cops? And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you new? Hey, 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 hey. You know there's a villain <laughs> called King Tut? Like, you don't want to get involved in this shit, homie. Like, you you just want to get that. Ch- just watch, okay? And don't talk. Don't. Ch- ch- don't. You don't even know what you think you saw. We could all be high on Scarecrow Gat. You don't know. You. <laughs> it's got them. So, yeah, I think they're just running down the street like, nobody gives a fuck. Psycho's got it floating and doing, like, 360s and spinning on a finger and all that shit. And that's just it, man. Like, it's it's... You know, ride or die. <laughs> Steve, how about you, Chad? What do you think? 
I, I honestly think that your friend Matt must be Dr. Psycho's other son. What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, Seriously? I, you know, yeah, he told me through, but I remember that one. I was just like, wow. And then after that, I learned how bad it was. But yeah, man, I just kind of felt bad. Like, I was like, dude, you just, you, have you ever met this guy before? And that's the first thing out of your mouth. Like, damn. Damn, I, I swear that guy must have been sitting at Josh's table at the bar mitzvah. What the actual <laughs> fuckity fuck? Um, <laughs> Yeah, cool. Matt, um, wherever you are, I very terrifyingly salute you. Um, but moving on, yep, I agree. Uh, Harley and the gang walking through Gotham with a sarcophagus. I, they just call that Wednesday. Most passersby will say, oh, look, Harley Quinn, let's take a selfie. Go out the camera, foes. Okay, cheers. Thank you, Harley. Bye. And that would just be another ordinary day. But Harley herself, yep, I do feel for her. Uh, she is the most awesome villain because she's smart, but because she was tied up with that psychopathic man child, the Joker for so long, she gets overlooked, but not by the end of the episode. Kelly, what do you make of our lovely Harley? Yeah, I overlooked this best word for it because I would be furious if I had gone through all the trouble of breaking into a museum, stealing the dead body bringing the dead body home, offering people to touch the dead body. And then all people had to say about me was something like, like our, our dear friend Matt said to Seth, well, about that other guy. That's, I mean, I just, it's, it's such a blow because you have to think there's effort that goes into this. And I, I will make the point that I'm not sure Harley truly thinks through her plans and what she's going to do afterwards. Like, I don't think she had any idea what she was going to do with King Tut's body once she got it home. But it are, there are these big, ridiculous capers that are really, really hard to pull off. So she does this. She gets the shitty kind of attention that nobody wants. And then on the flip side, she goes, okay, well, I'm going to up the ante. I'm going to rob Bruce Wayne, which I think, and this, <laughs> this is going to be a two-part question, because one, do you think this was a, a justified anti-upping here and two of anyone in Gotham who would you rob because for me it would not be Bruce Wayne Kendra oh god <laughs> but it's, good it's answer so great. <laughs> I mean, first she gets the Batmobile I mean if the fuck steals the Batmobile <laughs> and then now she's going after Bruce Wayne tech. I mean, that's the great thing. She doesn't think about these things, but when when they come to her and the light bulb goes, oh, it's it's wonderful to watch because she it, it, there's no way. But this girl has a highway named after. Her. I mean, she's got the Harley Quinn Highway, and every caper, you just know, like on on the side, you're on you're on Ivy's side, and you're like, for fuck's sake. Um, so we're extra Harley today, but everybody goes along with it. And I'm just like, okay, all right, so we're doing this, all right. And that's what everybody does. They pony up, and they're just like, let's do it. Why not? Let's go after Bruce Wayne, <laughs> because how else would she be seen that way? And Harley says it best. She's like, you know, this is what's going to get us noticed by the Legion of Doom. And when I say we, I, I mean that in the royal sense. But, I mean, she, she does. She's like, this is how we're going to get noticed. And... 
it's the most relatable thing to want to have that victory several victories at this point but this main victory just to kind of shove it in joker's face and i think that that's probably the most relatable thing that i've heard from harley in this show is she just wants to be seen as an equal instead of being this background character and what better way to do that than to go after gotham city's playboy brad what about you yeah uh uh who would i rob in gotham I mean, provided I didn't know that Bruce Wayne was Batman, I, I would almost agree with Harley because he would seem the richest and he <laughs> doesn't seem the craziest out of all the other psychos in Gotham that you could possibly rob. Uh, it seems almost like a safer route to go. So I would almost uh, choose Bruce. And I can't, and I don't think I could blame Harley for wanting to uh, to do the same because he's a very hopeful. Uh, high-profile individual, so it would make sense that you would want to draw attention to it. So, yeah, I think uh, I think she shows a bit of uh, uh, intelligence in a way for uh, deciding that she wanted to go after Bruce because I think she might have said the same thing. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Well, this is something I would call a uh, disproportional response. Kind of like bringing a knife to a gunfight, to quote the old Untouchables. I love Harley, but she, you know, is just sort of like, okay, I got the craziest thing you can get from a museum. Fine. Now I'm going to try and get the craziest thing you can steal from the richest person in town. It's, it's, you know, it's pretty much like saying, hey, look how high I jumped. Now I'm going to fly to the moon. And I love the enthusiasm. I love the passion. It's just there's that reality skew that really sort of gets you where you're just like, okay, maybe you ripped off a museum, but Kite Man's ripped off museums. And he only has a kite. You know, like, you know, you're, you're really yeah. pushing. Hell yeah. Uh, granted, the guy's clearly a master of wind. Sort of, maybe. I think he's just, you know, lucky when he's lucky. Anyways, uh, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to, you know, pulling off a caper like this, disproportional response. But, uh, you know, when, when Brad was like, yeah, you know, you got to appreciate all I could think of was the word like chutzpah, you know, chutzpah. Like she's got the, the moxie, you know, like, you know what? Fuck all you guys. Fuck all of you. And at that moment. I want to cheer because then she's like, fuck you for saying a bunch of just dirty ass shit about me and doing it from the, you know, the privacy and the security of anonymity. Like you pussies can't do jack shit of what I'm about to do. I'm about to show y'all who the bad one is. Like here I come taking down Bruce Wayne and afterwards you can all suck my toes while I walk past you and, you know, just make you smell my feet. Like I, I think Ivy probably summed it up best with what's uh, you're not over your ex and you need to throw success in their face. And <laughs> this is the perfect way to do it. I love the quote. It's such Ivy. Um, and, I, I, you know, I love that we get a sense that she's always going to be coming from this because the episode opens with her being like so chic, like she's got her global magazine. She's got her glass of wine. And then uh, a clusterfuck comes running through the door and she's got to deal with all of them. And uh, yeah, there, it was just it was perfectly set up where she's just like, fine, I can't, you know, I can't get your respect here. I'm going way too fucking over the top. But who would I rob? Oh, shit. Like, would I go for Bruce? Probably not, 
Because I'd want to get someone more mid-level. So, like, in my stupidity, I'd probably go after a crime lord. Because I figured, you know, if I just frame one of his lackeys, I'm gold. And, you know, how hard can it be? Like, it's not like Batman henchmen look all that impressive when Harley breaks into that bar and talks to him. And we see Felix Faust telling him to just jump through the hole to their death. Like, you got to be able to pit it on one of these fucking idiots. I'm pretty sure I could get away with it. I'm thinking Two-Face because he's already fucking paranoid and, you know, doubting everybody or Scarecrow, again, paranoia. So that's my jump twos. Steve, how about you? Who would you rob? I have to echo you and Brad. First of all, Yusuf, when you say the brass cojones on Harley because she goes straight to the top. Yeah, Bruce Wayne. But like Brad said, um, they don't know he's Batman. So when she looks at that magazine cover, and sees that invisible motorcycle, which is invisible, and that you can't actually see, but it's so beautiful. Well, we see it. We see it. (laughs) (laughs) Then, of course, you're going to want to steal it, because even though she can't see it, it's so beautiful. And you see the plot from Fast and Furious 7, no doubt. So, um, yeah, I'd have to go with Harley. If if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly, and rob Bruce fucking Wayne. Hell yeah. So that's the only way she could go, really. She wants to get noticed. That's a way to get noticed. What do you think, Kelly? See, I went, you guys went ambitious with this. I went, okay, what will not get me killed? And I think part of it is just coming from, you know, obviously Harley doesn't think things through to the fullest extent. So this episode, which is kind of the fun thing, that for a show with as much profanity and and face sitting and whatnot as there is. There's some really pew, nice pew. friendship <laughs> and responsibility. So, you know, if I was going to be a responsible person and I want to rob someone that it won't end my life, I'm going to be a dick here and rob Jim Gordon. He is low-hanging fruit at this point in his life. And and I want to be a good friend to my teammates. Dick move, bro. Dick move. <laughs> Look, as again, out of everyone in this show, he just right now he is just ripe for the plucking. And we we see how else he spirals. This isn't the end of his spiral. And I'm I'm hoping we get to see an uptick. But right now, I mean, Jim Gordon, you're a damn good cop. And a damn easy target. Um, fucking right. I just wanted to make sure it kind of cut out a little bit there, and I was like, "Geez, he's right for the what, Kelly? Same My God, yeah. right for the fuck? His wife doesn't think so. Well hung fruit. What? Uh, game with this? Uh-huh. Oh, Kelly, what the hell, man? He's a human being for Christ. I think I, I feel as though my words are being twisted. <laughs> yeah, my he's thing with my thing with. It. <laughs> Brad, what you got? <laughs> I was gonna say, it's like my thing with Robbie Jim Gordon is that he doesn't have anything. I mean, See, apparently uh, has a lot of alcohol, so you got to think. Hey, my, that's that's why the vodka goes a long way. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm robbing him for all of his booze and his badge. Yeah. What'd you say, Kendra? Uh, I said she'd go there, and she'd end up being there for the rest of the night because knowing Kelly, she'd sit there and have like a whole session with Jim because that's what it would end up with. You go there to rob him, and you end up hearing the life woes. You're his new best friend, Kelly. 
Oh, Christ. She'd have to be his wingman. She'd be at the bar with him while he's getting drunk. And she's like, I'm just trying to help a friend, man. I'm just trying to help a friend. Oh, I'm shit. You're on it. <laughs> I'm a very good wingman. And so actually, that, that's a nice segue into the next thing that really stuck out to me in this episode is the character that Clayface plays when they're off to rob Bruce <laughs> This poor cuckolded man who meets a security guard and has to give him a two-hour tale of woe and heartache. I mean, what did you make of him? Is this not one of the best Clayface characters, Kendra? I I agree. It's one of those where you get to see him shine because Operation Douche is in full effect. And (laughs) you get to see this, like, he looks like he stepped out of Jurassic Park. Like, I'm waiting for the the board meeting to happen that we're going to get T-Rexes in Gotham. (laughs) <laughs> but, I mean, this this whole, like, the Fast and the Furious Harley Quinn edition was brilliant because these characters shined so brightly in this part. You get to see Clayface at his best. You get to see King Shark at his best, which that that was actually what stuck out to me more than, than Clayface because you see King Shark thanking Harley for letting him be himself and yes. do techie things, <laughs> and then he... Eats the head off of the guard <laughs> I'm just like, okay, so everybody's just shining beautifully. Brad, what did you think? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I agree. I think that there's those moments in every episode where we just have to say, man, the writing on the show is so good. And the characterization is so good. And that's a perfect example right there, just like you said. Absolutely. Uh, great writing. Great characterization. Uh, I loved it. Uh, Seth, what do you think? You know, <laughs> one, um, I love the fact that Clayface, for the most part, believes that if he's going to be a compelling character, he has to be a broken, downtrodden, just wretch of a figure. Um, I mean, look at the twisted thing he turned himself into at the behest of Maxi Zeus just to convince him that he was an illegitimate son. I mean, between the lisp and the, the, the hunch and the, I mean, you know what I mean? There's, there's like this, this thing. And for me, I just love it because with Clayface, you feel like it's, and I don't know if you've had any friends who were actors, but if you did, you know, this, there's this desire in them, like in order to really push themselves as actors, they have to show you like, dude, I can be that. I can be whatever that humiliating thing is, whatever that lowest, debased, most tragic figure. That's me. That's the character I want to play. I can do that. I, you want me to see? You want it? You want me? I'll show you right now. And Clayface is just that guy, you know, between the 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 amazing voice, which I think at some point we should all do our best to give a version of, because it would just be phenomenal. Um, <laughs> I don't even want to try right now, but I, I think it's going to be musical and magical when we all agree to. But one, he's got that, you know, just amazing theatrical delivery. And then two, just that desire of like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's not my daughter because actually I had to forgive my wife for cheating on me. Let me tell you about what it's like to be a couple. <laughs> like right down. The, like you're just like, holy shit, dude. I don't want to hear about your fucking kid. You lost. I'm a security guard. I hate my job. It's nighttime. No one to talk to. All the pretty girls come in the day. All the cool guys come in the day. This sucks. What? Wait, hold on. Your wife cheated on you and I got to listen to you about that. This is awesome. Hold on. Cuckold. Wait a minute. Yeah. Like from the whole thing, you're just dying. But Kendra, I'm going to agree with you. Like it's such a great moment when you see him like 
living up the moment of being like just humiliated and playing a humiliated character to King Shark, who's like, I'd like to thank Harley for like thinking of my brain. I feel like it's underrated. Chop this guy in half. Now let's go ahead and talk about my tech savvy skills. Like it was such a great juxtaposition that you move seamlessly in from one form of laughing into another form of laughing. And along the way, I just laughed to myself like fucking actors, man. (laughs) Steve, how about you? I couldn't agree more. It's just a beautiful, beautiful moment surrounded by beautiful, beautiful moments. The the way he just goes on and on and on. And then you get Porking Shark, who's like 10 feet tall with fins sneaking past him. And the security guard's already by this point thinking, oh, my God, kill me, kill me now. And then that guard must be the only guard in the whole world who's actually cheering for the villains escaping at the end for some excitement after having to listen to Clayface for two hours going on about his cheating wife and the daughter who's not his daughter. It's just art. Brad, you called it. The writing in this show is just pure magic. I fucking love Oh, it's just awesome. It's brilliant. What about you, Kelly? What did you make of it? I love this character. And I I think you guys really hit on something with this poor security guard who has to sit there and listen to this. I mean, anyone who's worked in any kind of customer service job before has dealt with maybe not this dramatic of a thing, but you're sitting there trying to do your job. (laughs) Like, I I was a... uh, I was a receptionist for a while and I can't tell you how many people would come sign in, sit down. And then after a minute go, my son doesn't talk to me anymore. And then just off they go. And you just hear all (laughs) these crazy stories. (laughs) And even, even now you have people who are like, well, since my divorce, this is supposed to be paid by this person, but they're not talking to me. So maybe you can talk to them unless they're whore girlfriend answers. And it's like, ma'am, I'm, I'm just a billing rep. I can't like, I can't do this. And I love that they play with that as, you know, this is how they break into Wayne tech. This is how they rob Bruce Wayne. Just walk in with a really sad story, both bore and bum out his security guard. And they (laughs) seem to pretty much have the run of the place after that. It's amazing. And it's, (laughs) I mean, you almost feel like some villains have, the need to just do these huge guns blazing, you know, march in with a thousand uh, similarly dressed henchmen and blow the place up. And Harley, it's very, it's subtle, not necessarily subtle, but for a supervillain, it's just easy, you know, distract the security guard, get in, take the thing, get out. Simple enough, except occasionally you leave a hand behind. Um, and that's kind of one of the interesting things here is we're looking at, is Batman a good friend? Is Jim Gordon a good cop? Is Harley a good leader? She doesn't seem to really consider some of the risks for her team and and occasionally forgets them in prison for a little bit of time. Um, so <laughs> what do you think of sort of this risk factor for Harley? Um, going into this heist, do you think she was fair with leaving the arm behind? No, I mean... With Harley, this episode is, I mean, this and several of the ones getting ready to come up, but no spoilers for those. I mean, you, you get to see that she really does have blinders on when it comes to the team. Like, yes, she sees them and you can tell that she's grateful for their support. And basically, Red Shirt 
frame of mind, but I mean, I really don't think that she fully understands the scope of what leadership is right now. Um, and that's, that's mostly because before now she, she wasn't the leader. She was trying, but she wasn't. Um, so when we lose poor Clayface's hand, which that I don't even understand the logistics of, but, um, I mean that and Batman, I mean, you get to see that not only is it villains, but heroes as well, who both have to face this, which is another, again, to Brad, these great writers give you every bit of the spectrum. You get to see not only the villains, but the heroes as well. And Batman's an asshole for taking away the bat signal. I mean, that's mean. He was just mean to Jim in this episode. I was like, you're such mean, an ass. Mean Batman. Mean, mean Batman. Tough love. Tough love. <laughs> yeah, he was like, oh, okay, you know what? You're going to you keep pushing the button here. We're just going to smack you on the hand, and we're going to take away the bat signal. Go to the corner and cry. I was like, you're a dick. <laughs> Brad, what did you think? Yeah, I, uh, I think she should have left the arm behind. And really... I think that even if I didn't think she should, it doesn't matter because of what happens later in the episode. It's such an important moment uh, that I think that there's no doubt in my mind that that needed to happen, regardless of whether I would have wanted it to or what if, if I was in Harley's position, if I would have left it or not. Um, so, so yeah, I think uh, I think it was necessary. Seth, what do you think? Okay, so first things first, totally breaking another rule here. Um, you never leave a man behind. You never leave a hand behind. You, you, you know what I mean? Carry your dead kind of thing, like with your shielder on it kind of thing. Like, come on, man. Like this is, this is, <laughs> this is fundamentals. This is like locking your door, putting on your seatbelt kind of shit. Like you don't leave a man behind. That's just rule one. Um, unless they give you that impassioned, like, leave me, bro, I got this, it's cool, go, like, then, then you're, you're, you're covered, but unless they give you that authoritative, like, I'm taking them out for everybody else, this is an awesome sacrifice, then you really are just a dick, um, and I'd like to point out that that's appropriate because this operation was called Operation Douche, which I feel is, um, not only appropriate to, you know, point out the quality of Harley's leadership, but also to go back to, wasn't she just complaining a couple episodes that she needed a damn crew? Okay, well, if you get a fucking crew, guess what you got to do? You got to lead a goddamn crew because you got people who are leaderless and in need of a leader, which means you got to be a leader. And yeah, Kendra, Brad, you guys are... Steve, you pointed all out. This is where the brilliant writing comes in because they're showing you that it works on both sides of the coin. Good guy, bad guy. You want to you want to play a role. You want to have a part. You want to be bigger. Well, shit, you're going to need people and you got to lead people like, come on, man. Again, fundamentals back to the basics. Two weeks retrain will we'll come. I don't know. So I don't think you leave the guy behind. And you know, if not only for like you don't leave somebody who's part of your crew behind, everybody goes out together. Clearly, this guy's a liability. <laughs> so in the future, man, you got to think about the fact we leave behind a hand. We leave behind a witness. No witnesses, man. You don't you don't you don't leave that because somebody's going to snitch. They're going to put pressure on him. Poor kid's going to crack as he clearly struggled to do. And sadly, as we see in one of the final scenes, his crack you're aware of the fact of just how many ways this guy's a liability. Um, kid or not. Kid or not. So I'm just going to drop down on a couple of those things. This was called Operation Douche. She wasn't thinking about others. This was a statement on her leadership. And beyond that, 
yeah, you don't leave a guy behind, especially if he's going to snitch. And let's be honest, the little guy, I love him, but he's weak. He's weak. Steve? <laughs> yeah, all of you, such powerful, poignant <laughs> cases to, to make. And yes, they're a team, goddammit. This is your crew, Harley. Think about them, not just to have another line saying, oh, yeah, and that too. Oh, yeah, and that too. Not just you and <laughs> getting famous on villainy.evil.com. I mean, oh, God, amazing. But also, Kendra, um, red shirt mentality. I want that on a T-shirt now. Thank you very much. Kelly, you and I are going to write our new comic book series, adventures in retail because we have to talk about those people that come in and tell you their entire lives my love do you know that during the war well no i don't actually i wasn't actually born but yep you keep right on going and i'll sell you what you came in to buy when we get to the end of the story um yep has to be done brilliant and again the writing the characters the whole idea harley wanted something she got it but now she wants more and isn't that just life all over? Kelly, what did you make of it? Yeah, I look, you don't leave a man behind. And, and you know, you don't leave a snitch behind. Also, don't have snitches in your crew. But then who could have known that Clayface's hand was not only sentient, but had the mentality of maybe a 12-year-old-ish in a way. Fundamental. <laughs> I'm saying. I'm, I've been saying. <laughs> I think the one thing that really really stuck out to me though we do and i do or did blame harley for the fact that she left the man behind but if you watch when the hand actually gets chopped off they're all out and safe and clayface has to reach back in for his fedora he just he needs it and that's why he loses the hand so in a sense it's you know whose fault really is it there was it harley for saying Indiana no jones's fault definitely <laughs> well right. there's that yeah yeah i'm gonna different. actually jump in and say yeah but you know okay so he's stupid but he he's our stupid which is what you got it when you got a stupid one on the team you got to claim it like you just got to be like that's our fuck up he's ours we got to look <laughs> after him like yeah. even when he's a fuck up and does something stupid like that you, that's our guy man like hats off to clayface that's <laughs> <laughs> oh. give the man a hand give the man a hand he played his part he okay. played his part <laughs> all I'm saying is that that little hand is not cut out to be a super villain and clearly because not only does he cooperate with the cops but he becomes a best friend of the chief of police he becomes the the commissioner he's he's jim gordon's new best friend and, and Jim does kind of slide him aside real fast when Batman comes back. But in the meantime, they have an adorable little hand-to-man bromance. Um, yeah, I I don't know. If I were Harley, I would have tried to go back for the hand. Although there is also no way of knowing that when a hand comes off, it can talk and walk and remember things and rat you out, essentially. <laughs> Yeah, but you gotta look at its daddy. You gotta expect something like that. Come on, check out Clayface. Like you know, this is a risk. Let's go into nightmare territory here for a second. And <laughs> we saw we saw like in episode two or three when he was playing the bartender and he shook like a wet dog and got clay all over everybody. There were no sentient beings then, and there was a lot of clay. Huh? The smaller the pieces, the less intelligent they are. <laughs> so this was an appendage. Remember, this was a hand. 
You know what I mean? Like it, it had a role. It had personality. It was used to being there. You know, <laughs> it was literally his right hand. <laughs> I, yep. Yeah, well, it was his right hand little guy. You know what I mean? There was a bond there. But yeah, I'm sure you, you can't know, but it's Clayface and it's fucking Gotham. Like you should expect this shit. Like the piece falls off, it's probably going to turn into an evil twin. If it's not an evil twin, it's going to be a creepy baby thing. If it's not a creepy... <laughs> Gotham. Gotham rules, baby. Just like in nature. See? See? <laughs> it's like if you go to the islands, they'll tease you. They'll be like, yo, brah, like you're trying to go too fast, man. You got to be on like island speed, island time. Like <laughs> these are Gotham God rules, bro. Speed. These are Gotham rules. <laughs> Somewhere. In a dark <laughs> corner of the world, all our toenail clippings and cut hair is joining together to become a monstrous version of us. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. You mean we're not all building one of those in our closet? Seth, that's, that was yours and my evil plan. Damn it. I yeah, thought we were expanding. <laughs> I heard it. My... my last roommate actually years ago said oh yeah I, I have every piece of hair that's ever been cut from my head i keep it in a box under my bed i thought he was that's kidding really and then he pulled out the box <laughs> and, it was there. and it was a full box of hair <laughs> and did you leave a cartoon hole in the wall from when you ran through it in terror <laughs> i just kind of slowly backed out of the room i was like that's cool tony well we'll talk later Hello, welcome asylum. Could I have an application form for my roommate, please? <laughs> <laughs> but so anyway, we I mean, all right, teammates may leave behind part of themselves, and that part may become sentient. It may live in a box and just terrify people down the line. But once this hand becomes sentient, he sort of becomes the suedo pseudo however however you say that i don't know but it, how he becomes <laughs> jim gordon's best friend. I love that. <laughs> and as jim gordon's best friend he inherits the very important role of listening to him complain about his non-existent sex wife sex wife wow all right we're just gonna roll <laughs> that. That <works. laughs> okay we're not going <laughs> what the hell, Kelly? No, sorry. <laughs> like I'm, I'm. She's on fire great... today. On fire. <laughs> Burn, I've lost, baby. I've lost my own hand somewhere. <laughs> We're off the rails. Is that? Yeah, exactly. Yay! I finally took us off the rails. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you guys think? I mean, would you, would you want to be Jim Gordon's best friend? Because Batman didn't like the job, and he was he was an asshole about it. But the hand seems to have really gotten something out of it. Kendra, what do you think? Are you are you a Gordon friend? You can't judge what you don't understand. So I guess yeah, that puts me <laughs> being Jim's Jim's corner. I mean, I would probably be the one with a beer sitting back and listening to him. But at the same time, I would be like, dude, <laughs> go to a therapist, work out your demon. <laughs> Brad, what about you? Yeah, I, I, I would be his friend. I'm, I'm a sucker for trying to help people. But he'd probably be one of those friends that if I see him on my caller ID, I'd roll my eyes before I answered the call. 
but yeah, I'd probably, <laughs> I'd, uh, I, I'd probably yeah, I'd probably do And God bless the little arm guy for he didn't seem to mind at all. He was uh, all ears and fingers. He didn't mind one bit. So, <laughs> so no wonder Jim loved him so much. Uh, Seth, what do you think? I, man. I would have to go back to some seriously heavy drinking in order to be Jim Gordon's friend. That's just about the only fucking way I could probably like manage it because I, I love the guy, but I've grown up with a few examples. I've mentioned them in the past and you're just like, okay, man, I realize where the problem is. It's me. I'm holding you back by being your crutch. I'm the reason you're not moving forward in life. But I, I get that he needs a friend. Clearly, the hand works because it's childlike and it doesn't know better. But after a while, you kind of get burned down on stuff. And you start calling it like what it is. I mean, look at poor Psycho. When uh, when Ivy says, you know, basically he's a misogynist troll who should be living in a well. Like, clearly, you can burn out those friendships. And I think that's something that Jim has to be worried about because – when I heard that quote, I was like, ooh, see, that's what happens when you see the, the see you next Tuesday where you start getting into a bunch of trouble for keep saying it and then also being a true misogynist in the process. Jim's case is on the other end of the spectrum where he's just so damn sad. But eventually, like you've given him all your hankies, you've listened to every example, he's repeated all the shit you really didn't want to hear. And as he mentions to the hand he told some pretty graphic sex stories in order to help illustrate his point. And we already had the lifeless lover's dead eyes moving on top of us picture. So anything beyond that is a part to a degree where I have to be able to say, I'm doing this for my own sexual health as well, because afterwards I will no longer be able to perform the act with another soul human anything like i simply will no longer have the ability to respond because i will be corrupted by the images so i would at some point for my own sanity and sexual health have to cut off jim gordon he would be ruining me in such horrible horrible ways um but i love the man and clearly he needs someone i think batman's one of the most patient and dark characters so maybe he's got that you know Martial, you know, art sort of patience, will, zen, meditation thing where he can handle this shit because I just fucking couldn't. Steve? Yeah, so, so many truths there. But let's think really that Batman, that was an act as we find out later with his wonderful screensaver. But let, let's talk about the hand for a minute. <laughs> Those beautiful montages when you see the relationship blossoming, blossoming between <laughs> him and Jim and they're in bars and having drinks and talking to each other and having a great time and, and playing cards. And, and do you think the hand had a full hand and um no sorry i, I really mustn't point <laughs> finger now i mean i've got to hand it to the hand that he, he's, he's a great listener and uh listen um you could lace his palm with silver and he still wouldn't betray you he's such a good friend and oh please dear god save me i'm just gonna hand this over to kelly now well, what do you think speaking, kelly uh speaking of real quick i'm so sorry <laughs> but speaking of those montages thank you steve for bringing that up did anybody else feel Beautiful. like it was it was like an 80s sitcom credit scene. Yes. Like, yeah, like, like, like not tears, but something in that kind of vein or like. Perfect I'll strangers. be there for you. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think I went the opposite way. I went to, uh, what was it, Team America World Police? Oh, and wow. We're going to need oh, a wow. montage. <laughs> that I got you. <laughs> oh, God. That's funny. See, I, I, I do love the hand, and I love Jim Gordon. And, I mean, obviously, I very recently said that I would rob Jim Gordon. But, like Kendra said, I think <laughs> I'd like to think that afterwards I would sit and have a beer and be able to. I'm really good at listening to people's problems um, because there's always this part of my head that, you know, I'm here for you. I'm here to be your friend. I'm going to give you the best advice I can. And thank God I'm not dealing with this. That's like, it 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 makes you appreciate the good stuff when you know how bad things can go. And clearly it's gone really, really badly for Jim. Um, yeah, I would be his friend. Although I also see where Batman's coming from, where it's like, the, we, you know, he took away the bat signal and that's a slap on the wrist. And that's like, a, you know, it's a dick move. But at the same time, Wayne Tech was just robbed, so Batman's probably zooming up there thinking, Jim knows what's up, he's got my back, we're going to solve this, somebody has a button that goes into the Batcave, and nobody knows that. And he gets there and Jim is like, I think my wife is sleeping with someone else. And Batman's just like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, and I, I see where he's coming from there, so I think it depends on the situation. 90% of the time I would be willing to sit and listen to Jim Gordon and his problems. But if someone had just robbed me, and this is the police commissioner, I might want a little bit more out of that interaction than his woes. But in either case, so there's that that fun little little B plot we've got. Um, Doctor Psycho and Ivy are pissed off about the Cowl Critics review, claiming one that Doctor Psycho is the worst member of the team, and two that Ivy is dating him. So they hunt him down, find out that the, the call's coming from inside of his <laughs> ex-wife's house, um, and they, they get to meet Brad, a different Brad, but they get to meet Brad. What did, what did you guys make of that whole scene, Kendra? Oh my gosh, the Jolly Green Horse scene. Um, this was brilliant, because they show up at Brad's house to find Herman. And and Gigantica and Brad. And here he is with ice cream cone doing the statue of David, which of course Ivy's like, What's up? Call me. <laughs> <laughs> and Gigantica seriously. just hit hey, yeah, seriously, call me. And even later in in, in the same like storyline, <laughs> she's like, All right, I'm gonna leave you all to this, I'm gonna go find Brad. So he's <laughs> he's the, <laughs> the mini focal point. But I mean, it's so funny to watch Gigantica's response because we've only seen her a couple a couple of times, once on the Tawny show and then now. And clearly she's moved on with Brad, but she also has like the indignation of getting pissed off at Ivy without knowing the full the full story in leading to the Jolly Green Whore. I loved this sequence. It was hilarious. Brad, what did you think? <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Uh Although I couldn't get over the, couldn't get past the fact that the guy's name was Brad. <laughs> it seems like Brad's kind of like a go-to name for douchey guys. And there we go again. <laughs> and we know the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the scene was hilarious. And I love the, 
the little quick uh, uh, with Ivy going, call me. Just like those little quick jokes that the show can put in so well, Redeemed. those brilliantly. It's just, I, just I, I love those moments. They're moments that I almost like want to go back and rewind through. Uh, a few times I do. So that's quite a, one of the fun things about doing this podcast, too, is that you can rediscover the show, kind of, you know, watch things that you didn't notice before and things like that. And that was kind of one of those moments uh, with this episode. Uh, Seth, what did you think? Yeah, it's those quick little drop-ins that you said, Brad, like just so perfect, you know, whether it's Brad and his amazing cunnilingus, which Brad probably is worth promoting. I mean, clearly, <laughs> that's just something that you should shout out. If you're good at a skill, I just think it's something you should be proud of. And, we know the you know what I mean. What's Joker it, say? If you're good at something, never do it for free. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Nice. And I like how Psycho gets it defensive. You know, he's like, oh, come on. Any man who does that, please just, you know. Um, but also there's like the setup where the door opens and Ivy's like, um, seriously, I see Giganta. I see you. How did this work sexually? And he's like, not well, not well. <laughs> and it's just so quick because you move from that to Brad, you know, and again, the amazing cunnilingus because that's just worth repeating a few more times. It's just it's it's so smoothly worked in you just go from that to this to i mean i loved whoever said the calls are coming from inside the house because i immediately had a flashback to 1977 a stranger calls and the whole idea of this woman's being stalked by phone but the, the phone calls are coming from inside the house and they've parodied a few times in like beer commercials but it was just the idea of like the calls are coming from inside the house and i was like ah shit was that for me was that was that stranger calls like 79 oh damn um so i love the way that drops i love how it's just quick from how it works sexually to brad and then to upstairs where you have this great not so great father-son moment <laughs> it's like dude you were the worst you're the you're the worst you're just the worst father ever <laughs> he's like but i did it for you <laughs> like there was just part of me that was just dying as we went through this whole idea of like how we have to go you know make this discovery and beautiful twists steve how about you my friend i now understand certain parents so they weren't being horrible and cruel. They were just raising me to be a supervillain. Now it all makes sense. Now I understand. Thank you. <laughs> Not really. Um, yeah, it's little moments, like, like Brad said, as well. the little scenes, the little asides that, I mean, the other bit was when they get to uh, the police station, there's a phone call where someone's reporting a <laughs> horrific crime and Harley just hangs up. It's just absolutely <laughs> brilliant uh, and, and ivy's called me and everything else is brilliant but in this one episode alone we get the cunnilingus and the face sitting and everything else that goes with it i mean what the hell it's absolutely brilliant um it's grown up in the worst way possible adolescent but it's so beautifully written and performed that uh, Every viewing, like you said, Brad, you catch something you missed. It gets funnier and funnier. And I hope this show runs forever. What about you, Kelly? Yeah, you guys are absolutely right. The little teeny tiny jokes that they managed to squeeze in there. And actually, you, you brought up the police station and um, that the call that gets placed where they're like, someone kidnapped Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> and he even said it wrong. 
the boss. Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> and I, I just, Some rat fuck stole the boss. <laughs> right, because it's and I, brilliant. I, I Bruce Springsteen's from my hometown in New Jersey, and I always thought it was just a New Jersey thing. And then as I've been out in the world as an adult, I'm like, no, this is a thing that just dads and police officers everywhere love Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> so it's that is what they need to call the cops out of the station. That is absolutely hilarious. And as far as Herman and Dr. Psycho's big father-son moment, it was heartwarming in a disgusting way. Like I, I, I sympathize with Ivy there where she's watching it she's, and going, this is so touching, but really weird. Because they have the best, worst father-son relationship there ever was. Um, and I mean, at least it seems like Dr. Psycho is capable of loving something, even if he doesn't do it well. So, you know, good for him on that end. But yeah, so we have that B story. And then Harley presses the button. And she ends up in the middle of the Batcave where Batman seems to have just been waiting for her to get there. I, I just, I like to think that he was sitting at his computer the second he realized that button was gone for the rest of the night. Like, well, any minute now she's going to press it, just waiting for it. So what did you think of that scene, Kendra? <laughs> I think there's a few, uh, a few tweaks that need to happen to the button. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, I, I could see it. I could see... Batman just sitting there waiting because what else is going to happen? He knows who has it, so it's, <laughs> it's inevitable that the button's going to be pressed because it's Harley. Um, <laughs> but this was such a, a, a sneaky way to get a butt shot, and it's not the only one because we actually get two of them. This episode. One of them is made of clay, so sap cautiously, but. I mean, this this whole thing, this this scene right here was absolutely superb because you get full recognition not only from Bruce and his beautiful screensaver, but you also get it from Harley. And I, I love it when we get to see the light bulbs go off. Um, I mean, it's it's just another another note to the good writing that's on here. But this one was hilarious for me. What about you, Brad? Yeah, I like the scene a lot. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about how a lot of these characters are our favorite incarnations of these characters on the show. And what I find interesting is that Batman, we've seen that kind of Batman before. We've seen like the earnest, over serious, direct to the point kind of Batman. And it still works. And he's still one of my favorite Batmans, even though some of these other characters are going off in directions that we've never seen before. This Batman succeeds because it kind of is what we've seen. And uh, to me, I think that's another example of great writing because in a way it's kind of simple. And I and I really did like, you know, how you were saying the light bulbs going off, those real moments of humanity between them really, really worked as, uh, as well. Uh, you know, seeing kind of Harley's softer side in a way. Uh, Seth, what do you think? Well, one, I love the lead up to this because that's when Jim Gordon, who is a damn good cop, says probably one of my favorite lines in this show, which is, you know, essentially they're doing the face off on the roof and Harley's got the button. She's like, it's cool. I'm going to do something crazy, which, you know, is just dangerous. 
But when they're confronting Jim and he's like, I'm going to fuck you to death with bullets. I mean, <laughs> if I had anything in my mouth, it was spewing. Um, I'm, I'm dying because at that moment, I'm just laughing my ass like, are you fucking kidding me? And then she hits the button. She pops up. And Brad, you called it, man. He's the perfect straight man. Like in a comedy, you need the straight man. You need that guy who's just like, I dot, 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 left, right, square, as can be. And that's Batman in like to a T in this. But of course, when you've got this crazy over the top Harley, what I love is not only is she playing off of that, but we also have this great thematic idea where it's like, hey, if this shit was funny in the first episode, we're going to say it again. So she's like, ah, the Batcave. So this must be where you fuck the bats and i was like not missing a beat not hesitating for a fucking second like if you guys thought you loved it when she was saying that shit on the roof you're gonna love it when she says it to him in his own goddamn house cave whatever like like that was just pure brilliance and then the rest of it just the shtick back and forth like uh my screensaver just kicked on behind me didn't it and he's totally in like birthday mode and like trying to still be the straight man but everything around him is chaos and then got to be my favorite is when she realizes just like batman she's done a lousy job of being something she wanted to be she wanted to be a good leader she's not that good at it batman uh should be a good friend for all the ideals he represents and in this way she feels he's not and then she says what i has to be a, a, think is a great line which is you know we're not that too different and he's like what she's like come on what we're both badasses who look good in spandex which i thought was just a fucking hot line to just shift the gear for us and move us on through and and everything about that scene was clutch whether it was like picking up the so this is where you fuck the bats and everything else after and batman is the perfect straight guy like boom 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 can't ask for better comedy i, I love this shit steve first of all it's not spandex it's indestructible microfiber okay let's get this right <laughs> i like harley's way better <laughs> <laughs> It's a fantastic <laughs> scene from, from the hanging from the stalactite with her butt showing. And, and then obviously you get little clay face hands. But this film's like the perfect show for crack addicts. No, stop it. Um, it's just genius. The way she taunts Batman in his own lair. And like Brad said, this is actually vintage Batman 101. Acting all cold and uncaring when really, listen, Batman is loner my but he surrounds himself with teen sidekicks, his butler, chief of police, um, every kind of uh, outsiders, Justice League. His whole life is about replacing the family he lost in that alleyway when he was a kid. And here we go again with the writing and the psychology of this fucked up crazy show, which makes us wet ourselves and yet think at the same time. It's just genius and we know he loves jim the only reason he was pissed off is because he got there and damn it my company's been broken into i need jim's help and all jim could talk about was his his um his lack of sexual prowess and the way his marriage was failing so what are you gonna do but yes he was there sitting in the cave waiting for harley to turn up and it was genius um the only thing i'm sad about is that in a way that the hand didn't stay with jim because he could have been the short arm of the law kelly save me <laughs> yeah see i that scene that screensaver is one of my favorite moments in the show just because it, it we we do see batman as you know the straight man as this character who is kind of cold and dark and when you see those moments where 
a silly side or a little bit of that extra personality shows it feels so precious almost as Batman fans it's like oh look at look at what he did it's it's a thing that isn't being stoic and badass and so that screensaver is just adorable because it's like clearly he cares about this man and has to have Harley Quinn talk him into going to be a better friend he he gets that sort of message of friendship from the supervillain that's hanging from the ceiling of his bat cave and I mean personally spandex Kevlar, whatever it is they wear, they do both look absolutely fantastic. Now, as far as the hand goes, I actually felt a little bit bad for him at the end. Batman comes back and Jim's like, all right, bye. It's been fun. You know, just gone. Don't need you. But, you know, it's in a sense, it is a happy ending. Clayface gets his hand back. The hand is reunited with his father and Batman will now be able to hear all of the disgusting, gruesome details of Jim Gordon's sex life again. Everyone has a happy ending, except (laughs) for King Shark, Um, because Harley forgot him. So how do do we feel about King Shark's time in prison? Because clearly the man has some leadership skills of his own. Kendra? I think that we should all make him some superior toilet wine. Because I'd be really yeah. scared if we gave him anything inferior. <laughs> He's kind of a one strike in your outlook. But I mean, King Shark doesn't seem to mind being in Arkham. He's like, oh well, you know, I got to see all the the wrongs of, of the prison system, so I'm good. And my favorite part of that was just at the end of it, where he's actually like being broken out and he's leaving, and they make a fish joke. <laughs> And he screams back, I will kill each and every one of you with my bare hands if I have to. (laughs) And it's just one of those, like, they go from one extreme to the other with him. I love it. Like, here he is, this techie guy, but he will nom your head. (laughs) And not think twice. Brad, what did you think? I just want to go back to the arm for a minute or the hand. And I don't think he got a a good ending, that poor little guy. (laughs) Goodbye, Jim. Goodbye, Jim. Slop. Just suck back in the clay face with like this, like no mercy, just boom. I was like, oh man, that's kind of sad. Um, but yeah, King Shark, I, uh, I, I did enjoy this scene uh, with this with these few watchthroughs that I did because you know I, I remember when I was hosting the episode uh, and, and you know the, a few weeks ago when he goes crazy when there was blood in the water, and I said, does that? I don't remember that ever happening again in the show. So it was it was fun to revisit him being angry again because i kind of like the angry side of king shark i I like the duality with his like being calm and uh collected in prison and just being the like uh easygoing kind of guy i kind of like that that uh the the yin and the yang of it all uh seth what'd you think dude like king shark is such a great chameleon i i love how he's like you know just i want to be respected for my mind not my body and my brawn and my many rows of teeth. And when he gets the chance to like use his hacking skills when they do the break-in initially to Wayne Tech, you know, he totally just sort of brushes off the fact that in order to get to the computer, he's got to chop a guy in half. 
So then when we see him at the end, after that 30-second takedown in the police station, he's been hanging out in this jail cell the whole time. And that line to Daryl, you know, Daryl, if you ever <laughs> bring me inferior toilet wine, I will shank you in the shower. Like, I was like, wow, way to get the lingo down. <laughs> see, I heard like, shag you in the shower. I heard oh. like, shag. So oh, I, I actually oh. heard that completely differently. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> I was going with the shank and I was just like, dude, we've seen this guy get down. Like, clearly, he's not afraid to dispense with the violence. And then, as you guys said, like that perfect cue up. And I love that the new taunt is new fish. Like, I've heard fresh meat. I've heard all these other slangs that are used when people, you know, in a group want to be derisive to someone who's new to the group, you know, but the idea like, oh, look at this fresh fish. And he's just like, guys, what did I tell you? I am a cool guy. But if you do that again, (laughs) and it was pretty brilliant just watching him fly off the handle that way, clearly working himself to an impressive position of power. And yet at the same time, he's always like, but this isn't what I want. Like, I know I'm a natural leader. I know I can take charge at any moment. But what I want is what's important to me. And I think that's going to be great as we continue to watch him struggling with that dual nature because his violence is like so naturally perfect. You're like, dude, like, run the show. (laughs) Harley could just be one of your crazy henchmen, but he's good. He's good with being a player on the team. He wants to be that that savvy guy. He wants to be known for his brain and not just his body. And I think that's about as sexy as anyone can be. So, yeah, I feel like, unfortunately, he's maligned. But in the process, we see that, yeah, you can go ahead and burn him. And in 99% of the time, unless he's in Harley's brain, he's going to figure out a great way to get out of it. And even in those situations, he still had his swimming that, that saved the day. So this guy, this guy, he's a gamer, as they say. You know what I mean? Like, he, he came to play ball, and every day he's... He's ready to just deal with whatever the situation is. Rock and roll. Steve? I, I have to agree. And, and let's be honest that this is King Shark. He's a 10-foot shark. And you don't mess with him. And you don't forget him because I must admit I am as guilty as Harley. I totally forgotten about King Shark. I was so um, <laughs> stuck on the idea of reuniting the hand with Clayface or whatever else that – when they said, oh, fuck, King Shark, I went, oh, fuck, King Shark. And I've already seen this episode. So <laughs> I can sympathize with Harley. But what I really love, and this is the th- something that really made me think, again, this is the deep philosophy of, of this show. What exactly is inferior toilet water? Toilet wine, rather. I mean, <laughs> toilet wine's going to be bad, whichever way you take it. What he's saying is that he likes it with a bit more bite. I mean, I don't know. I just don't understand what inferior toilet wine could possibly be. But uh, give it to him um, and make it snappy. Sorry. Maybe Kelly, save me. May we all never know, Steve. May we all never know. Please. Just Bye. sorry, Kelly, for that interruption. But please, may we all never know. No, I, I agree completely. I personally never want to go to prison. I hope none of us do. Um, yeah, being shagged and or shanked in the shower, either way, it doesn't sound pleasant. Although I, I have to admit, I've always been curious about the process of making toilet wine. I won't go into it any further than that, but I've always wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> so if you know anyone listening, if you know how to make toilet wine, let me know. But... <laughs> On that note, that brings us to the end of another hilariously off-the-rails episode of Harley Quinn. And 
the end of another episode of Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. So this has been episode six. And I have been and will continue to be Kelly Gaines. Um, and it's been really, really fucking lovely to be here with my co-hosts, Kendra Hale, Brad Filicky, Seth Singleton, and Steve J. Ray. Um, so if you want to hear more from our crew, Brad, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me writing news and reviews at dccomicsnews.com. And I'm also on the regular DC Comics News podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. Very nice, very nice. And Kendra? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at DevourAllWords and also on Dark Knight News writing for the Harley Reviews, which I'm not going to lie, I'm crying about because it's going to end soon. Uh, and also on Fantastic Universes, where I write about pretty much whatever the hell I want. Seth, what about you? <laughs> Yeah, you can find me writing reviews, other content for DC Comics News. Um, you can also find recently I've been doing uh, some kind of fun, positive stories on the Good News Network. So if you're looking for a positive story, uh, there's a few on there I wrote and a few others that are equally good on Twitter. You can find me as the number one more singleton and uh, when it comes to uh, Instagram, go ahead and check out my dogs, Bruno and Fiji. They're adorable. Steve will attest to this. Uh, and I feel right. Wolfers. They are lovely wolf wolves. And I feel like if you need anything to sort of like brighten your day, they're perfect. And I'm also going to jump in and say, guys, I actually do have a friend who's made prison wine. They didn't use a toilet. They used a bucket. They called it Pruno. And... We can talk about that recipe in a future episode. Steve? <laughs> you can find me on villainy.evil.com. No, sorry, that's the uh, alternate week. You can find me on DC Comics News and Dark Knight News, uh, writing reviews, uh, interviews, and uh, posting all DC-related news just by searching Steve J. Ray in your search engine of choice. You can chat to me about this show or any of the other wonderful podcasts we make on this network at L Steve O E L underscore S T E E V O on the Twitter and of course on this wonderful podcast with my buddies each and every week. Kelly, where can the whole universe, multiverse, find you? <laughs> I can be located on the Twitter at Kelgains Wright, and you can also find me doing opinion and editorial pieces for DC Comics News as well as on our regular DC Comics News podcast. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it, I think. Yeah, yep, that's everything for me. <laughs> <laughs> so if you enjoyed the show, um, be sure to like, subscribe, comment, let us know if you have a toilet finally, because we apparently need some. I, I brought it up, and I would like to know more about it. Um, you can find Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast, as well as our main DC Comics News podcast and DCN's other great podcasts on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and Google Play. And you can follow DC Comics News on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, and capital N-E-W-S. And there is one more thing we like to say at the end of every episode of every show, and that is to remind you all to... Read more comics <laughs> have that a wonderful all. night <laughs>
one.